1: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you and yours are doing fine wherever you are in the world isn't on fire or some shit like that. That would be that would be good. And as ever, thank you very much indeed for being here. Um you will probably be able to gauge from my voice that I am not um at 100% today. Physically, I'm like. And mentally, I'm a bit like. However, the prospect of uh, not giving you guys a podcast on a Friday after I've been away for a week and not giving you a podcast last Friday, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. However,. Small talk will be in short supply in this intro and probably after the conversation I'm going to have with my guest, which I'm just going to get into because I'm finding it difficult to concentrate on, you know, things like words and the order in which they come out of my mouth and whether or not they make any sense when I say them. So let's do it. Let's get into the show. And I'm delighted to welcome back, as always, from CBS Sports. It's James Bench. Hello, James.
2: Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me on again.
1: My pleasure. Preseason is well and truly underway. Have you been shelling out the big books to watch the games at midnight? I, I no. have to say, I haven't.
2: <laughs> no, it wasn't the game in Orlando. It was sort of delayed by an hour or something as well. Because mm. I'm just like, because I pity the the poor fools once myself that had to sort of stay up until the crack of well beyond the crack of dawn, probably, mm. to watch this. I mean, it's. You know, having said that, you know, I think the in-person experience of preseason, you know, I love it. No one has to take anything too seriously, and it's always great fun, as as we well know. Yeah, on those on those US tours or wherever they go. But yeah, six pounds is an awful lot of money for me to you know watch some of the uh, Arsenal B team when I'm trying to get to sleep or whatever. It's not not something that has even tempted me for a moment. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I think you know uh, when games are on at those sort of inhospitable times we have to um, uh, step back and remember our uh, esteemed compatriots around the world colleagues around the world Arsenal fans around the world for whom this is Normal, You know, getting up at, uh, as our, our friend Tim might say, 8, 7 a.m. kickoff. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, or you could be staying up until the middle of the night or getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning if you're down under, whatever it might be. So it gives you that little bit of perspective on the commitments that fans across the world make to watch Arsenal. Um, you know, and fair play to them. They do it week in, week out for games that matter. But it's, you know, for uh, grizzled old veterans like us staying up till 1 o'clock oh, in the morning.
2: I'd have sacked it off for the games that matter as well. <laughs> look at those kids. It's horrible. Oh,
1: you can't chance. say that. You can't say that. But look, it is, it is a, a fun time for everyone out there and from what I'm uh, seeing online, uh, talking to James on, on Tuesday for the ArsCast Extra, the... I think the benefit of preseason, if we're looking at it um, beyond what it means for Mikel Arteta and his team, as we know, it's fitness exercise, bonding, getting everyone together, doing the hard work, all that kind of stuff. But for the club, these are these are valuable tours. And for the fans who may never get to come to London, may never get to go to a game, all those kinds of things, I mean, you can't lose sight of just how much it means to see the team in person, whether it is 45 minutes of a B team that you wouldn't put out in a Carlin Cup game, that's neither here nor there. You do get a bit more in the second half or whatever it might be. But these these experiences for the fans are actually really important, even if you want to like put preseason in its sort of category of like this doesn't really matter too much. There are cer- certain aspects of it that really do.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, certainly if we start on the for the club. You know I don't know the specifics of how much Arsenal are taking home per game, but when you're talking a top level European team, it is you know in the millions mm. per game you know this is a nice little earner a good way of tr- topping up you know the transfer kitty topping up whichever kitty you need, especially I think after two, three years, two years where you've you've kind of not really been able to maximise this this period. Mm. I know it's kind of a bit grim to talk about things like that. But then we also talk about how important it is that Arsenal kind of, or any other club spend 70 million or 60 million or whatever on a player that, that we want them to sign. You know, this is kind of, that's part of the deal. But yeah, the fan side of this, there's so many kind of, Memories of of joining Arsenal on that quite lengthy tour of the US back in 2019. You know, I remember uh, without wishing to uh, inflate your ego too much. I remember joining you for a sort of live podcast Mm. out in LA uh, and uh, Yankee Gunner as well, Elliot. And people traveling across America because obviously you know that's a lengthy journey, but nothing compared to coming to Europe just to kind of be there around. You know, they'd say we don't have a ticket for the game. We're going to come to the podcast. We're going to try and go to the kit launches and things like that, and just mm. be around that community. Um, There was a lovely thread going around. But I think at DTDC Guna. just talking about how there was this sort of atmosphere and and a sense that the fans stateside now don't feel like they have to apologise for not being, you know, the North London Gooners. They don't have to replicate. The experience, you know, they are just themselves and mm. enjoying the games in their way. And I mean, some of the videos and clips you're seeing, and you know, the excitement of fans, young and old, at seeing these players, even if they are B-team players, even if it is Pablo Marie and, and Nuno Tavares. I mean, it's something we can all uh, mm. we can all learn not to. Uh, and you know, it was something we felt last season, wasn't it, when the, the game, the fans came back. That it's not something we want to take for granted anymore, and I, and I hope that continues long into next season.
1: Yeah, I mean, the pressures of, like, wanting to achieve or needing to achieve as a football club, you know, they're there and they should be there and they should be part and parcel of any top football club. You know, this this ambition, this desire to win things, then win them again, win them again, win them again. And that sort of creates talking points and discourse and things which can get a little bit um, circular, if you know what I mean. And, and at times, you kind of forget, like football is fun it should be fun it's not always fun sometimes it's terrible and painful it kicks you in the in the right where you don't want to be kicked at the worst possible time you know but that kind of is necessary so when the fun things happen again um you really enjoy them and and sort of trying to remind yourself that in spite of all the uh, the stuff that happens around the world that we're not that uh, fond of, you can escape at a football game. You can escape with your mates. You can escape with, you know, people you don't know, whatever it might be. And that sense of fun, I think, that surrounds aspects of preseason. It's not always there during the season because, uh, obviously, the stakes are higher. You know, it doesn't really matter if Arsenal beat Orlando. I was going to say Orlando Pirates, but it wasn't. It was Orlando City. That's the
2: one from South Africa?
1: It could well be. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I think it is. I'm going to convince myself it is. Okay.
1: All right. Uh, You know, but obviously you want Arsenal to win. Yes, Orlando Pirates. um, Yeah, they're in Johannesburg. So, well done you. Uh, But Orlando City, of course, um, is, uh, is a team that Arsenal beat in midweek. But trying to remember... You know, that you can just go and have fun and uh, have a day out and enjoy all of it. Um, you know, I, I like that aspect of things because, you know, it'll get introspective pretty quickly.
2: It's also just 90 minutes and maybe even up to two hours, however long, mm. where the discourse around a big football club isn't about showing ambition and making statements and all these things that everyone must do in the summer. Yeah. It's just about like having a bit of fun, and I think we also need to realise it's kind of about that for players as well. I'm not. I know some of my colleagues spoke to a few of the the first team out there, and they just said the atmosphere was was really phenomenal. And it's a group of lads that are obviously kind of in, enjoying a little trip out to America. I know it's not how many of us would um, spend mm. our time if we were flown out to America, our company's expense, but you know they're en- they're enjoying spending time with each other and, and building these bonds. And it's the same kind of across so many uh, Premier League clubs that, that that's also what this time is for, yeah. not just, you know, obsessively drilling into transfers and, and all that stuff. I think it's like, – th- at this stage of the pre-season, I, I start to enjoy a bit more than the, um, the slog through the transfer market when we're waiting for the players to get back together because I don't think you should take much from the games, but it's nice to have things to talk around that are more than just, you know, yeah, who's signing and who's being the most ambitious and who's won the transfer window trophy
1: well yes and that you know we'll wait to uh, the end of August before we can find out who definitively has won the uh, the transfer window trophy the most important trophy of of uh, of them all as we know uh, you said something there and I was going to follow up on it but I'm in a bit of a brain fog at this moment in time so I can't remember exactly what it was and I'll just move on to uh, the next <laughs> thing I mean is there anything from you know uh Look, I'm not staying up late to watch the games, but I'm watching a bit of highlights, watching a few mm. clips here and there. Is there anything that sort of stood out from you from the preseason preparations
2: yet? Eddie Nketiah looks pretty. Um, he looks like he's going to take some knocking off the ball. That was the. I mean, because that's something I can we can learn from preseason. Eddie Nketiah looks like he has kind of, you know, hit the gym hard. And I, I kind of really like that because he's always going to be the, the fox in the box guy, isn't he? He's, he's not. He's got better at his build-up work, but I think Conchetti's strengths are always going to be about, you know, he knows where the ball's going to bounce, And if he's just got kind of a bit of muscle, a bit of strength to overpower the defender, as well as kind of outthink them, and burst mm. them, that's something I really like. Um, and it, interesting as well to see in that Orlando game, I, th- I think it wasn't the goal he scored, but there was a good shot where he showed some really nice quick feet in the penalty area. I'm sure he and Jesus, as much as they're in competition, will be working together. And I think one thing I'd like to see Nketiah pick up from Jesus is this ability to just twist and turn and find a shot. I think Eddie's quite instinctive. Mm. And maybe the next step for him in, in improving that penalty box side of his game is just if the ball drops to you, can you take two or three touches, get it out of your feet and get a shot away? Jesus does that as well as anyone I've seen in the Premier League, I think, and I'm yeah i mean something for him for anketia to pick up and it's good to see him
1: doing well yeah he uh, there was a picture during the rounds towards the end of the season where you know uh, he was standing there topless shirt off i think you would say topless <laughs> has other connotations but uh, certainly he looks like a young man that has been uh, spending some time in the gym and if i remember from the brief highlights i saw of the everton game or was it did they play another one What one did they play before Everton?
2: So there was Nürnberg? Could have Um,
1: been Nürnberg, yeah, with a couple of own goals. And a couple of the own goals were a consequence of of Eddie's uh, good work in the box. I think one was a shot which um, deflected off the bar or whatever it was. Um, And it is an interesting thing because we talked about when Gabriel Jesus came in, like here's a guy who has been at a multi-star team like Man City for years. And in some ways is coming to Arsenal with a weight of responsibility on him and uh, I love the quotes I'm not here to be a superstar I'm not here to be the main man etc cetera, etc cetera, except y- you are you are. Uh, you are and that's that's what we all want from you and that's what we all expect from you but I like your humble attitude at the same time though that 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 responsibility can can really drive a player it can motivate them it can inspire them in some ways and I do wonder if perhaps having finally convinced Mikel Arteta that he is worthy of more playing time than he saw uh, at times last season, the same might be true for Eddie like this chance he's basically the number two striker at the club right now unless arsenal go out and buy another center forward and i don't see that happening so he is the number two behind gabriel jesus but also could be a one-two with gabriel jesus plenty of football plenty of cup games all of those kinds of things um this is exactly the the chance if you like that he was looking for and and as you talked about so well on on the beautiful game podcast last year you know, his his entire thing was, if you give me the chance and I don't do it, fair enough. But if I never get the chance, you know, how am I supposed to feel about that? So here is his chance. I mean, it was in small part at the end of la- uh, last season as well when he got that run of games and did pretty well. But this is it again, isn't it? And with a, a measure of expectation now because of his place in the pecking order, the number, the salary, all those things that people use to sort of assess the expectation level they have around a player.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, of course it's third striker to second striker, but that is a, a maybe a bigger step up in reality than it, it, it sounds in, in practice. I'm sure he will start most of the Europa League games. But also, you know, how many of those games before he was given that run of starts? Was Nketiah the sort of, Smash glass in case of emergency will bring you on quite possibly when I mean, at least one of Aubameyang and Lacazette, but quite often both Mm. were on the pitch. You're going to have to go somewhere, you know. And it it, it is not like they are setting up a team. It's sort of like, Eddie, just just do something, please. Mm. You know, we're begging you. Whereas now it's about how he is integrated into the way his team play from the offset, whether that's kind of as a kind of first reserve striker in the Premier League, where you can expect him to get a lot of minutes. I think hopefully Arsenal will get into the habit of winning games more heavily so that, that he can come on, mm-hmm. except when Gabriel Jesus is chasing his many, many hat-tricks. You've got to leave him in for them. <laughs> um, but, you know, he he will now be a part of how this team plays, not a desperation move. And I think what we saw late last season was he deserves more credit than many of us, myself included, gave him for the stuff he does outside the penalty area. You know, he really has obviously worked very hard because I didn't see this early in his Arsenal career on being a guy that can play with his back to goal at Saka, Erdegaard can can bounce it off. I don't think he'll ever be a strength, but he knows now that's what he's going to need to do. He he knows he's going to have to be a, a link man. He's not just going to be the wing in a prayer come on, try and nick us a goal, mm. Eddie. That's not Eddie anymore. That's a challenge to him. And, um, you know, I think that's what he wanted, as you say, on that beautiful game interview. The real sense I got was he was basically saying to Arteta, look, challenge me, test me. If I fail, like, you know, you, I'll go somewhere else and, and try and do it there. But he's been given that. And I'm, You know, we've seen that most Arsenal Academy lads, when you ask them to step up, they tend to deliver. They're a smart bunch of kids and um, yeah, I mean, think he'll do well.
1: I, well, I hope so as well because, look, we've had players who've come through, but it's it's been a while since there's been like a, a, an academy, a true academy striker who's come in and made themselves a real regular in the team. And look, he's still got some way to go, plenty to prove. You know, I think he would be the first to admit that he's got lots to prove. Still, He's 22, uh, maybe just gone. Is he just gone 23? I can't remember. Or he's just gone 22, one or the other. But, um, you know, still a very uh, young age for a player to come through from the academy. And there's something, I think, quite romantic about that idea. I mean, I love Bakayosaka, Saka. I love... Um, Emil Smith Rowe. I love the guys who've come through who've maybe come from abroad and come through our academy. You think of the likes of uh Hector Bellerin, Sesk Fabregas players like that who, you know, we think of as academy graduates, even if they came at an early age and perhaps we stole them from elsewhere. But, you know, <laughs> the the idea of a center forward, a number nine, well he's you know, he's not necessarily the number nine, obviously, but but that gives it an extra dimension, I think. You know, where, like you, I I didn't really see it happening for him. I didn't think he was going to get the chance. I didn't know if necessarily he deserved the chance. But now I'm sort of much more invested than I thought I would be in Eddie. Um, so, you know, that that, that homegrown centre-forward thing, we've had some names, there have been plenty of them down the years, you know, who almost made it, who nearly made who were talked of as potential uh, breakthrough strikers, but never quite got there. Um, I mean, he looks like he's got a chance.
2: Yeah, and that's all you want. I mean, hearing all that, it kind of, brought me back to. I, I don't know if you've seen the, the documentary that the club have done, the other documentary that the club have done uh, in their work on Hale End, Inside Hale End, it's called. Not yet. If people, if people want to watch it, it's on the website. But just kind of seeing those early episodes and, you know, we were at an event with, with Permurta Acker and Jack Wilsh. I think what you kind of realise is for someone like a Jack, who I know played in a very different position to Stryker, but that, you know, if this all works, if this even works to the level that Jack Wilshire did where it was a few wonderful years and obviously not the whole career we all wanted for Wilshire at Arsenal, mm. that it just ends up being something really special for the fan base, for the for the mm. player as well. Like, you know, they will be thinking, you know, this is Eddie's club in the same way as Jack's club and Bacayo's club. And, you know, he's, for Arsenal fans, he's their striker in a way that, you know, no matter how great Gabriel Jesus is going to be, Let's just talk it into existence. <laughs> it's it's different to the the one that's been there more than half. Well, I mean, obviously, I know he came. He was at Chelsea first, but it's been mm. there for half his life, or however long it may be. You know those those bonds. It's it's irreplaceable. And you know, you look at the folklore of Arsenal. It is based around Tony Adams, Rocky Bokayo, Saka. Frankly, already. That level of hero worship you only get if you are from, or you pretty much, pretty much only get if you're from the academy or, you know, you're Thierry Henry and you're one of the greatest players that English football's ever seen. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know
1: I know where you're coming from. I mean, everyone loves the, the, the idea of the homegrown player. And look, we've got plenty of those coming through at the moment as well. So let's hope, let's hope he can do that. I want to move on and talk a little bit about um, Alexander Zinchenko Interesting signing. Um, Mikel Arteta was asked about where he might play because there's a lot of talk about where is his best position or where does he want to play, and he's played a lot at um, left back for Manchester City. Um, Mikel Arteta said he was a natural number ten early in his career. Can't have enough number tens, if you ask yes. me. We're getting back. Real to,
2: Arsenal's back.
1: <laughs> back to business here, baby. Um, and he said we converted him to a left, bla- uh, left back. Uh, where he can do a lot of things that we want in our way of playing. And he said that versatility is something that's going to be important for the team because we have players in that position who are more specific fullbacks, so I'm really happy. Um, Before I ask you more about the versatility side of things, just some quick thoughts on on Zinchenko and uh, a 25-year-old, experienced international player, won pretty much everything at Manchester City. Um, You know, this is another quality addition to... Uh, A team which needed players who, when you look at, you know what I like about a transfer is like where you sign a player and you go, what does that mean for that guy? That guy who always starts. And I feel like that's a positive thing because it creates the kind of competitive environment that you need rather than like you sign a guy. Well, well, he's obviously the backup to the good guy. Uh, I like the idea that players are coming in and we're going, you know what? he's got a bit of a fight in his hands or you know he's not going to have it easy to play week in week out he's got to keep his form up and he feels like one of those signings
2: yes I, I love this I think this is a fantastic signing especially at that price point I know that obviously you know the Lissandro Martinez deal got a little bit away from Arsenal and that's quite understandable when you see that United may well end up paying the best part of 60 million euros for a player Arsenal bid initially bid 34 mm. but this guy ticks so many boxes. I think one of the things that really stood out over the last few months, you know, Ukrainian, possibly the most high-profile Ukrainian footballer out there, captain of his national team at a time that was incredibly trying. And, you know, you see what people at Manchester City were saying about Zinchenko during that time and how incredibly admirable he was and these character traits, beyond just being the captain of his country, being a a person that's willing to use his platform to keep talking about, you know, the horrible things that are that are happening in his home country. I think that at the very least, you know, it's strange to then start trying to apply that to what that means to someone as a footballer. But it means, you know, you're getting a, an excellent individual, a role model, someone who, you know, you can rely on to give 100%. Mm. Saw quite a bit of him at City at the back end of last season. Whenever you did, he was 7, 8 out of 10. But like you say, I think that the the joy of this signing, for from an Arsenal perspective, is Kieran Tierney knows he's got competition. He knows that, you know, I think it it it, it may well be that he's the starting left back. And I think you know, I look at this, and I, my assumption. My assumption is that this is more of a, a pressure on Granite Xhaka and that left eight move. Mm. But both of them are going to feel it. And if Granite Xhaka starts playing really well, naturally what Mikel Arteta will do is go, well, gosh, Zinchenko's playing great, Xhaka's playing great. And if Kieran Tierney isn't, it becomes, you know, sorry, mm. Kieran, you're going to have to drop out. We've got to make room for these players that are playing well and and vice versa if, if Xhaka struggles. Yeah. Like you say, this is... It's it's versatility, but it's starter quality versatility. I think he's going to go into this team and be one of the better players in that starting eleven. The the games he's had at an international stage, not least the you know fantastic performance for Ukraine against Scotland. This is such mm. a high bar he's setting as a as an eight. That's where I would like to see him play most of his minutes. I think that's just an area that Arsenal could take a step up. But you know, if and when Tierney goes down. He's not the best defensively uh, uh, as a left back, but he is a he's very capable of doing the sort of things that Arteta likes his fullbacks to do: tuck in, be an outlet for possession. Mm. I don't see much of a downside to it at all. No, I'm with you. I think
1: it's uh, I think it's a very shrewd investment, a very shrewd signing, and he is versatile, as we say. Um, you know, he can play left aid, he can play left back. I'm sure he can play probably as a wing-back, you know, when you play full-back in a Guardiola team, there are very specific demands on you, you know, as to where you have to be, where where you've got to stand, all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure the same will be true of, of Mikel Arteta. But it's true of, uh, and I made this point to James on on, on Tuesday on the ArsCast sector. like there's a there's a, a, a running theme through many of the signings that we're making as players who can play in more than one position. Um Clearly, Arsenal have needed to add depth to the squad. And one way you can do that is just buy loads of players, which is fine. But Arsenal have too many players as it is right now and need to get rid of some of them. Um, but you can also do it by having players who can play in multiple positions and he was talked uh, he was asked about versatility he said it's one of the things and the way we can adapt structures formations and rotations within the squad and playing with the same players in a different way to be more unpredictable is obviously important and that is why we've recruited these players so adding I don't know whether it's a marginal gain. Does it make half a percentage difference, one thing or the other? You know, because teams can adjust. Managers can adjust. Coaches can adjust from the sideline. If they don't... If you've done something that they don't necessarily expect you to do, you know, you can shift your formation mid-game, and we've seen that happen plenty of times. So I don't know that it's a thing that you're going to go out and play a game and the opposition are going to be, whoa, Where did that come from? But, you know, Arsenal were predictable last season. You knew who was going to play. You knew who was going to play where. And that was because we just did not have enough players. And I just think about this, and I also think about it in light of the the five subs rule as well, whereby basically you can change half your outfield team during the course of a game. And having players who can slot into different positions and shift your formation Uh, adapt the way that you're playing based on the game, uh, the way it's going, in-game strategy, all that kind of stuff, is going to be more and more important than ever, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. I think one of the other ways of, the more sort of downbeat way of thinking about this is just about Arsenal not being in some of the situations they were quite frequently at the back end of last season where they just had players that weren't that good by Arsenal standards. And that we obviously always think of that as like, well, this guy doesn't bring enough but it's not just about that it's about how kind of compensating for a cedric uh i i I don't think i'm you know i don't think that's gonna be too unpopular a suggestion just inhibits other players i seem to remember that ben white was kind of not the same roving step into midfield center back when cedric was next to him because if he steps into midfield and loses the ball that right side of the defense is is just vacant pretty much Mm. you know if if you've got Tommy Asu or you've got Saliba tucked in, you know, and he's in a position to to step inside because Ben White is playing at right back or however it works out. Yeah. And the same on that opposite flank. If you're just not having to compensate, you can do more things. You can be the, the more proactive, assertive version of yourself. I've got no doubt that kind of Gabriel off the top of my head was not charging forward to do his strong thundering tackles in midfield in quite the same way when it was Nuno Tavares behind him. And that's what you say about whether it's changing up the team so that you're bringing in, you know, you're bringing off the bench Fabio Vieira, or maybe this, if Arsenal get him a new winger, rather than bringing in sort of Nicolas Pepe and everything kind of has to adapt to Pepe's limitations. Yeah. You know, the players just adapt to each other's qualities. That, to me, seems a really good position. And I think kind of when you think who might be coming off the bench for Arsenal, I think a near fully strength Arsenal squad is going to be able to make five good changes every single game. And that's a great position for Arteta to be in and not one he was in a lot last season, I have to say.
1: True, true. Because you sometimes looked at the bench and went, well, yeah... Uh, not much is going to change there and and the the ability or inability to come from behind uh, and turn over a deficit in a game to end up either taking a point or a win is a, is a key issue. It is a, a an area for improvement uh, for this season ahead. But I wonder as well, do we think about this from the perspective of players? Do you think players find, like they all say, um, James did his interview with Fabio Vieira. He's like, oh, I like to be a 10. And, you know, we've got another 10 with Zinchenko. We've got, we've got all the 10s and everyone wants to be a 10. But you can't all play 10 and we don't even really play with a 10 anyway. You've just got to, like, fit in. But do you think there's something that players themselves might think, well, this is quite good. Like, you know, if you're if you're on the bench as a central defender, you're like, well, there's two reasons why I'm coming on you know, we have to make a change because players got injured or someone's got sent off or it's Rob Holding to, you know, (laughs) man up the the lead that we're desperately trying to hang on to. I mean, those are the only ways you get on the pitch as a defender, right? You either get all hands on deck or someone's got injured and you have to replace them, or someone's got sent off, you've got to have a reshuffle. But if you're a Fabio Vieira, if you're a Zinchenko, if you're a Smith-Rowe, if you're a Martinelli and you haven't started the game and you're thinking... You know, I could come on in left eight. I could come on on the right. I could come on on the left. I could play in behind the striker. You know, all those kind of things increase the opportunities for players to make contributions as well. So I wonder about, you know, keeping them invested and, and for them to sort of rise to this challenge of versatility, if you want to call it that, by adding as many strings to their bow as they can.
2: It's a really interesting point, And I think... One thing I'm sort of intrigued by with this five subs, five subs rule is: Do you end up having some players that just sort of gravitate into more of a finisher, you know, a finisher role? They come yeah. off the, they, 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 you know, in the obviously these aren't rolling substitutions, but you know, in sports like the NBA, mm. you would have quite a, d- a degree of competition for the sixth man of the year prize. And obviously everyone will say they want to be a starter and that's natural. And I'm sure Fabio Vieira, you know, would much rather be in Arsenal starting 11 than being the 12th or 13th man off the bench. But I think it's a, it's an opportunity to, to really like, you know, embrace that. I think it's something that Enketia could be really good at. You think of someone like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and those great Manchester United teams of the turn of the century, he made that role his own and it was, you know, you could tell that that he was a player with some tactical acumen who helped by one of the great managers knew when he came onto the pitch, he kind of had been observing the game and knew how to positively impact it. I think that's maybe something like a, I don't know, I'm kind of guessing a bit here, but someone like a Fabio Vieira or if it's Erdegaard or Smith Rowe, you've got players that will really understand where the gaps are, where the pockets are and, and can maybe exploit them in a way that like you say, with, with three subs, especially for a team like Arsenal, one of the, at least one of them was always given over to, well, Christ, we've got to adapt to this red card we've just got <laughs> uh, and then another one. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly there's not many opportunities yeah, yeah, yeah. for the players and the managers to really sort of bend the game around from the bench. That will be intriguing. I think Arsenal have the sort of players who can do that. I guess the reality of having had so many red cards and that being kind of a big theme of Arteta's 10 years. I don't know how well Arteta will be able to do that, but, you know, give the guy some good Mm. quality options and it it should be a lot easier.
1: Yeah, I do wonder. There was something that I did think about, you know, the... We've just been talking about versatility, but I wonder about the specialization of substitutes. Mm. If that might become a tactical thing in the next couple of years as these five subs become, uh, everyone gets used to them, commonplace. Like, you know, it used to be three from nine, it's going to be five from nine, three from seven, then it was three from nine, now it's going to be five from nine. So I wonder if in certain game situations, whether it impacts game plans, whether it impacts recruitment strategies, like is there going to be a sort of run on six foot eight guys who aren't really that great but you know Crici. yeah you you sort of lump it to the big man kind of guy I mean it's industrial but there is a reason why it is a theme in football you know because you can put pressure on the opposition that way do you then you know counter that with six foot ten central defenders is there, I don't know how this is going to work I mean it might be The game might just become more and more technical, but I also wonder if certain trends will emerge because of this five-subs rule that that we haven't really considered.
2: I I think there's quite an interesting case there with Arsenal. I don't know about you, but I struggled to see when they were were trying to sign Rafinha. I looked at him and thought, and I don't think he's an amazing footballer, to be frank, although he played very well for Leeds. I thought he's not he's not gonna be the starter in the big games, but by God he'd be good to come off the bench because like you say, it was just gonna be lightning quick. The fullbacks have just spent an hour or fifty-five minutes or however mm. long being tested by Saka and Erdegaard, and they just go, Oh, thank God Saka's coming off the pitch. Martinelli's coming off the pitch. Who's this other? oh fuck it's Rafinha? Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. Like one of the one of the paciest wingers in the Premier League. That, like, like you say, that's incredibly interesting. Um yeah, bring Crouchy out of retirement as well. My my thing with England, I'm st- not sure I'm st- even over it yet. Every time a World Cup or a Euros came around, I was like, I know he's not that great at anything else, and I know he's always injured, but at some stage throughout the tournament, you're going to want Andy Carroll to be able to come off the bench. <laughs> and Just stick that. it long to him for five <laughs> minutes. It's England. Let's see what happens. Yeah. He's free agent, isn't he? <laughs> you can't give him a ring. That is why England
1: haven't won the World Cup in all these years. <laughs> Finally, someone has got to the core of the issue here, James. Thanks very <laughs> much. You know, I know what you mean. I know what you. Mean. Big big guys have always had an impact. You know, you can think of uh, goals that we've conceded down the years. A no-go. Uh, yeah. John Carew against us. You know, you oh. think about, yeah, I know, too soon. I know, I know. Uh, just before we move on, there is a little bit of captaincy talk and... Mikel Arteta spoke about it during the week sort of hinting that it is going to be Martin Odegaard Um, I have a feeling it will be too any thoughts on that do you how do you view the captaincy particularly in a team that's quite young now because you know There are some senior players in there, but if you're growing a side together, if you're going to try and develop a team that um, stays together, fingers crossed, successfully for quite a number of years, you're probably better giving the captaincy to one of those guys rather than one of the senior figures. And I'm not sure there is an outstanding candidate, you know, among those Mm. uh, three or four senior, senior players, if you like, that we have.
2: Yeah, I I think Erdegaard is is absolutely fine. I I have a bit of a bee in my bonnet about the captaincy. I know a lot of people now do think of it as, you know, just a sort of fabric cloth that that people wear around that Mm. it doesn't matter very much. Having said that, you know, I think when you kind of look at Arsenal post (laughs) Vieira, you know, there's been quite a lot of turbulence in the dressing room, a lot of unhappiness, and the captaincy has largely... You know, with the odd exception, it's largely been treated as a as a fop to senior players to stop them from leaving. You know, I think you could, as much as it was kind of thrust on him at the time, you could maybe even add Aubameyang to that list. But certainly, Henri, Robin van Persie, players like that. And actually, and I'm stealing this from uh, an excellent book by Sam Walker called The Captain Class. If you look at kind of the the, the period when Arsenal were relatively successful and relatively cohesive... It was the the, the era of Arteta as club captain, uh, Per Mertesacker as club captain, and and I think a little bit Lauren Koscielny, but but especially Mm. those two. Settled dressing room, leaders who kind of led in the right way, and you knew were kind of at Arsenal for the rest of their career. That would be my challenge to Erdegaard. If you want to be Arsenal captain, I mean, you don't have to stay forever, but let's not have kind of Arsenal's captain in, in two years being, you know, being targeted by Real Madrid or PSG or whoever, and it becoming a saga. Because I I kind of think when you look back on it, of course it, it would have impacted the dressing room that club captains, year in, year out, looked like they were off. Yeah. Um, I know that was a bit the case with Vieira, but especially Henri and Van Persie, they were going to go they were given the armband and then it was like yeah they'll mm. stay for one more yeah you know so- but but i think one, one
1: thing we have to acknowledge like if in 2 years time uh, real madrid or psg or wherever it is want martin odegaard it's because martin odegaard is playing at a level that that clubs like that want and i think that's something that we've been missing as well mm. like interest in our best players like it puts you on edge but at the same time it reminds you that the players you've got are good You know, everyone is sort of until Bakayo Saka signs a new contract. If you say the words Saka and Man City in close contact, everyone's going to go, you know, but that's (laughs) but that's uh, that's because he's good. That's because he's a really good player. And the consequence of having players like that in your squad is uh, other teams, richer teams, perhaps more successful teams are going to want them and are going to try and take them. So I think that's something that we've got to uh, take into account when we have those discussions, but I do know what you mean. And I think there is something about, uh, again, going back to responsibility. We talked about with Gabriel Jesus with, with Eddie and Kedia that, Sometimes a player is just at the right moment to give them that extra bit of responsibility. I think we saw more from Martin Odegaard last season than we did in his six-month loan spell. I'm looking for more again from him. I think he's capable of more in terms of goals and capable of more in terms of assists. But maybe having that responsibility, the the honor, if you like, of the captain's armband, um, can help. And I know there are many people who listen to this who will like long for the Halcyon days of Tony Adams and the the kind of inspirational captain that that you can hang your hat on week in week out and that kind of character that kind of leader but you know they're not there really those kinds of figures are very very rare um so i think if you're always you know comparing well you're giving him the captaincy but he's no Tony Adams <laughs> you're, you're always going to be disappointed. But, I, you know, I think you can see with Odegaard, he's an intelligent guy, committed, works hard, has got the tactical eyes on the pitch of the manager, as we saw last season a number of times. And I think that responsibility, that level of trust between manager and player is, is will be an important aspect of this decision.
2: Well, I mean, he's a, he's a model pro, isn't he? Like you say, for all the reasons you've listed. And I guess in a way, you know, take it back to the era of Tony Adams. Tony Adams was the the model professional of his of his era in that, you know, he'd I mean, we can talk about, you know, all the things he did did off field. Mm. He'd overcame, you know, the great cultural problems of English football to become a a real, genuine leader and obviously was forged in the in Arsenal as well. And I think those were things that mattered to the dressing rooms of the nineties, of mm. the early noughties. Nowadays what 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 matters to them? Probably it probably doesn't help It probably wouldn't help Martin Erdegaard's captaincy case if he'd overcome a drinking problem. Like, that's not something that matters to professional footballers in 2022. Erdegaard shows all the right things. You know, he's always one of the first ones in at training. He works hard, he Mm. applies himself, and he, you know, carries out the manager's instructions. He doesn't make a fuss, you know, Mm. going back to all that transfer talk. He's not someone that's being linked day in, day out with a transfer and things like that. He gets on with things, Mm. keeps his head down does a good job. Yeah, that's probably I still want it to be Aaron Ramsdale though. I just <laughs> just, for the, fun. just for the just uh, for the the
1: chaos factor of all that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Arteta says uh, of Odegaard uh, and his qualities, uh, his qualities we want as a captain one of them is, is that he thinks about the team before himself and that feels very uh lined up with what we know about what Mikel Arteta wants from his players as well.
2: And quite like he was as a captain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right, just one other thing that I want to talk about. Um, actually, there was a, another thing, but I'm not really going to talk about it now. And maybe it's a discussion for another day. Uh, it's about KSE and investment and the money they've spent. And I think I'll park that for another day. Um, and we'll move on to something a little less serious. And that is the the all or nothing documentary is uh, imminently being released something that when it was announced i was like oh no just don't know don't do that whatever i mean the money can't be good enough to do that and then i found out they were being paid like 10 million pounds for it and i still thought nah the money's not good enough to do that what do you what's going on here um but as time has gone on and as we've seen various bits and pieces, I'm I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to watching this. Um, the trailer was out this week, and there are a few little bits and pieces in there that we, we know we're going to see. Um, what did you make of the trailer, first of all?
2: Oh, I'm really, really excited about this. This is, you know... That that trailer for me, this was like Avengers level of excitement. Where I was like, "Yes, we're getting all the hits. We are getting Mikel Arteta lose. It seems like he's going to be losing his rag about six times an episode. I don't know if he's if someone told him before the start of the season. They (laughs) just sort of pointed him in the direction of all those Jose Mourinho memes and were like, "Mikel, be very careful." But like the meme potential of this show it's going to be off the charts. I think that's always the worry isn't it? It's probably what you were kind of vocalizing there is yeah. the, there's a little bit of fear that rival supporters are going to absolutely rip you on social media but luckily the season was a clear step in the right direction and I think it'll be really interesting to see kind of how what we all felt around the club that the players were were growing up that this was a strong dressing room and that it was shared by supporters. Mm. And that was one thing that really stood out in the trailer is clearly it's going to make a, an awful lot of hay on the bond that developed between Arsenal and, um, its supporters. And I I think that's really interesting, but also I'm just here for the drama and it's got some, it's got potential for sort of RuPaul's drag race in the (laughs) uh, makeup lounge before games drama with, with a Bamiang, with this Lacazette Cedric fight, I'm so. I hope they don't <laughs> leave that till episode eight. Yeah, I yeah, we'll yeah. have a whole episode of that. Well, I,
0: I will but, have uh,
1: to. Yeah. I'll have to defer to your RuPaul knowledge uh, on this, but yeah, I, in terms, <laughs> in terms of the drama, I mean, there's there's clearly things, you know, you can imagine the first episode, like you know the 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 sort of opening day, and then. Chelsea game, going through three games without being beaten, and then you know the mood being really low and all that kind of stuff. I'm uh, what I what I think I'm most interested in is the the reactions that we see that are actually real and organic, because I think the way certain stories and certain things are going to be told to us is going to be told to us in a very Particular way, right? So we're we're not blind to the fact that this is in an in inverted commas reality TV. It's not that what they haven't captured is real; it is. But how it's presented to you and the narrative through which the stories are told um, will be quite interesting to see. For example, the obamian stuff, right? How much we see of that? How much we're allowed under the hood, if you like? I'm not a hundred percent sure. But I do think that when, you know, a game goes wrong or when something's um, not quite right and there's a discussion in the dressing room at halftime, they don't have time to think about the fact that there are cameras on the roof and cameras in you know, those kinds of things I think I'm most interested in. And and like you say, uh, training ground stuff, that isn't supposed to happen. Uh, Training Cedric and Lacazette, whatever they do whatever they get into whoever else might be fighting i mean i always enjoyed a bit of a training ground fight between other people when i was playing football it was always like look at these look at these two fucking agents. <laughs> you stand back and let them get on with it you know and that happens of course because it's a highly charged competitive environment even if you're playing on a you know a lowly level when you're playing at premier league level these things are going to happen so those kind of um un Fettered, ac- unfettered access to real moments is what I think I'm really interested in
2: yes and I think as it as it moves on the series I'm certain we will get away from things that are more sculpted because I don't doubt for a second that in those early games you know the dressing room and Mikel Arteta are thinking god we've lost three games and the Amazon cameras are everywhere yeah you know that I, and, and I think what's interesting certainly I remember this very well from the Spurs series and I and i think the slightly dull man city one had the same thing i mean man city is inevitably going to be dull cuz what drama is there in winning every single game <laughs> but that that you don't see a lot of what happens early in the season because everyone's super conscious of the cameras and they're not letting themselves down but equally like kind of this is what we need to see this sets the scene for the grand story um that will be this arsenal season which is kind of it seems like from the trailer and you know yeah kind of got to maybe speak to some guys around it i get the sense it will be about this club reuniting uh after so many years of of discord and anger um you're going to need to see an awful lot of of maybe what was the the low point than the idea we can debate that of of arteta's reign and um yeah i like you say it's only going to get better as it gets more unscripted but also be great to see some of these players i was it was interesting noting someone like rob holding who i know spoke really well with with james as well out on tour but maybe someone we don't kind of think about much of what he does beyond those 10 minutes where he comes and heads every ball to safety yeah um you know these these guys are human beings that who who understandably very rarely show much of what happens off the pitch to them uh to, to the rest of the world and i think it's particularly cuz it's a great bunch of lads at arsenal i'd kind of like to get to know them better in a way that teams of the past not quite as bothered yeah or
1: you just wouldn't have, you wouldn't have had that opportunity and i think mm. part of you know part of what will make this quite interesting is the the complete well, not complete shift but like the the huge frustration from those first three games to the point where you know which i think really began around the North London Derby and the Leicester away game where you start going, hey, you know what? There could be something something going on here. And as the season goes on, look, it didn't end the way we wanted it to end, obviously, but um, you, you can't, I don't think you can come away from last season and, and not have some of these guys closer to your heart than than at the start of it. I did like the I did like the guy in the trailer. This is the worst Arsenal team I've ever seen. And then like <laughs> 30 seconds later is going, "Oh, we're falling in love with this team again, you know." And that sort of tells part of the story, you know.
2: So so a fun little thing on that that I heard, especially early, well, I think it's got happened kind of throughout the season. As you will no doubt imagine, Amazon would have had, you know, doing their vox pops with fans after the games Mm. and we are all aware of a certain divisive other channel that does those vox pops after the games um and i have no doubt that i'm uh, i'm pretty certain that amazon people are saying no 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 we're not that lot we're not them we're the other ones we're the other ones that are driving you mad this season
1: (laughs) Oh, uh, look, it is going to be fun, I think. Um, I think when's the first one is out in August, isn't it? So we, we don't have too long to wait. Eve of the season, I think, is the first. Just
2: before, of- yeah. Just, so... You know, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? An embarrassing first couple of episodes where it's all about how bad Arsenal are, and then they lose at Zaha's Park.
1: Yeah, on the opening day. Listen, is there any more upbeat note to leave a, a discussion <laughs> on? I'm not sure. Look, I'm I'm confident. I'm confident. I'm trying to remain uh, upbeat, optimistic, and ready for the new season. But we've a way to go yet. James, as ever, thank you very much. We'll leave it there, and we'll talk to you again soon.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you very much indeed to James. You can find him on Twitter. He is at James Benge, at James Benj, Or is he at James underscore Benj? No, I'm pretty sure it's James Benj, but I will. And I will just, uh, you know, double check here for the sake of accuracy. He is at James. no underscores whatsoever before in the middle or after so thank you very much indeed to him as always thank you very much to you guys for being here how am i feeling a bit like this so uh yeah who knows who knows? Join us on Patreon tomorrow. We are going to have an Alexander Zinchenko uh, profile podcast. Myself and Phil Costa will do that for you Friday on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash arseblog. And you can also sign up for our Fantasy Football League in there. Big prizes. I'll tell you more about those on Monday. Oh, no, on Tuesday, perhaps. Whenever it is, we're going to do the ArsCast Extra because James is traveling back from the U.S. So I suspect it'll probably be Tuesday of next week. I'll give you more details of that right i am going to uh, leave it there for this particular episode because uh, that is about as much as i've got in the tank thank you for being here as always for downloading for sharing subscribing and all the rest hope you enjoy the show and we will catch you on the next one until then folks cheers bye-bye Join us as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the Angriest Man on Twitter.
3: I hate all these people going on about how the weather's too hot. I remember when I was a kid we had two days that were equally as hot, if not quite as hot, but probably not quite as hot. All this nonsense about how people are gonna die because of hot weather and climate change and all that. Give me a break. Is that a local council? Can you hear me? It's just that my entire house is underwater and also on fire, and the sea level appears to be rising very, very fast. I think I might be about to drown. And there's an actual shark NATO in the distance. Hello? Is anyone there?
1: Ah! Next week. Another madcap laugh a minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter.
3: Everything is shit!